The OCD and Anxiety Podcast by Robert James Coaching. Hello and welcome to the OCD and Anxiety Podcast, where we explore how to have a more positive relationship with anxiety disorders, taking back control so that you can start living the life you choose and not the one chosen by your fears. Hello and welcome to episode 196. I hope that you're doing very well today and if you do happen to be struggling with OCD or anxiety then you can get a free session with with me. To get that all you need to do is to head over to my website www.robertjamescoaching.com and there you can use my Calendly to, uh, to book yourself that free session or you can also send me a message there. So in today's podcast, I speak with um, Dr. David Adam, who wrote the fantastic book about OCD, The Man Who Couldn't Stop. Dr. David Adam is a freelance journalist who writes about science and its impact on society. His book, The Man Who Couldn't Stop, uh, which described OCD and his experiences with the condition, was a Sunday Times bestseller and has been translated into a dozen languages worldwide. To find out more about uh, David, you can head over to his website, which is www.davidneiladam.com. Um, I think you'll find it's uh, a fairly rich conversation about OCD. We, we discuss uh, David's story and his experiences with OCD. Being a writer and a journalist, he has quite uh, an insightful and interesting way of uh, describing his experiences, and uh, I think you're, you're going to find it really helpful. So um, I really, uh, really hope you enjoy. If you, uh, if you have any questions, then do please let me know, and many thanks. Hi, David. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Hi, Robert. So to start off with, can you just tell us um, a little bit about yourself, please? Uh, yeah, so I, uh, I live in the UK. Um, I work as a journalist. I'm now a freelancer, but I, I've written about science and technology and medicine uh, for many years for, for various organisations. Um, I'm talking to you probably because I wrote a book about OCD. Um, obsessive compulsive disorder um, about sort of I write about science mainly so it's sort of the science and the history but also some of the I guess the contemporary sort of attitudes and politics uh, the way that we think about OCD and other mental illnesses and I included a fair bit of my own experiences because I also suffer or have suffered a lot over the years from OCD. Fantastic. So I wanted to start off by kind of asking you more about the the book, the the man who couldn't stop. Um, I've started reading it myself. It's uh, I'm only a short way through, but it's um, straight away. I'm really really enjoying it. Um, so w- what kind of inspired you to 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 write this book? So I so I had OCD for a long time, and. Uh, and we, we might get onto this or people can read the book um, if they want to know the full story. But um, I, I, I got some treatment eventually and I started to feel a bit better. And I think then I was starting to think more about OCD 
as a journalist than as a sufferer. And I wanted to know a bit about, I suppose, what happened to me or a bit more about other people's experiences. And I, um, I think naturally as someone who reads and writes, I looked for a book um, that could help me. And I found that uh, there's some very good books on OCD out there at the time, but they kind of divided into two categories. There, there were the clinical books written by psychiatrists and, and experts that were very accurate and reliable, but were a little bit distanced from the per- what I felt was the personal experience. Mm. So I didn't relate to all of it. And then there were books that were written by people who had OCD almost as a form of therapy. And they were very in-depth and very personal, but but very uh, discreet, I think. And they sort of talked about their own experiences. And they, some of that didn't really relate to me either. And I wanted a slightly bigger picture. So I thought, well, maybe maybe there's a gap there. And as a writer, as a journalist, I always wanted to write a book at some point. And I thought, well, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the maybe this is this is the book that I that I could write. And there was a book at the, there still is a book. That at the time I found there was a book called The Noonday Demon by an American journalist called Andrew Solomon, which kind of does this for depression. Mm. Uh, you know, he suffered from depression for a long time, and he wrote a book which explored the the the, the, the disorder, but through his lens of a sufferer. Um, and I thought well, maybe that's what I can try and do for OCD. So so so, so the book came from. Um, I mean, you know, if I was a musician, maybe I've written written a song about it or something. But because I was a writer, writing a book was an obvious extension to to finding out more about it and realizing that that maybe other people would want to have uh, would want to seek answers to the same questions that I had. Absolutely, yeah, and I think it really strikes um, a good balance between you know the science underpinning. Um, you know, OCD, a lot of the kind of research, modern research and, um, you know, your own kind of story. So, yeah, I think it I think it does well with that. Um, so you you start off the book in quite a dramatic fashion by uh, describing this. I mean, this utterly awful story, really, of this this poor schoolgirl um, who uh, who ends up eating a wall of her. Her house. Could you tell us a little bit more about that, please? Yeah. So, so I mean, that's the first rule of journalism: is you put your strongest material, you know, right at the front, just to grab mm. people. Um, and this was a story which. Uh, so, when I was researching the book, I because I was um, a science journalist, I had access to lots of case studies and scientific journals and medical reports, and I would just go through them all and just find what I thought were interesting stories and, and this one just blew my mind and it was a um, I mean the title of the academic paper was literally the girl who ate her house and she lived in um, Ethiopia and she lived in a, a house that was made of mud bricks and she had I mean we, we only know this through the lens of the people who wrote the case study who were the psychiatrists who helped her so I didn't mm. meet Bill I didn't interview her I don't know who she is they in the paper used the name Beera, so that's the name that I used, but I know nothing about her except what was in this paper. And the paper described how she had um, what in OCD we call intrusive thoughts, so very sort of weird, disturbing thoughts about the wall. Now that sounds, that will sound extremely weird to anyone who hasn't had or experienced OCD, because OCD is around weird thoughts. And she, uh, and this, the short version is that she found the only way 
she could quell these thoughts to quieten them to make them go away was to eat a bit of the wall and because it was a mud wall she could she could break a bit off and and, and literally eat it and, and this went on for a long time by which time the, the psychiatrist estimated she ate you know several square meters of of this of this wall um now in the case study there's a relatively happy ending she she goes she manages to see one of these psychiatrists and she gets um, prescribed um, some drugs which which seemed to help her certainly the last time they saw her she was better but I don't know hopefully she's doing well mm. yeah there, there we go I mean it really kind of encapsulates you know just how awful OCD can be if um, you know if the right intervention isn't isn't given um, you know hopefully she is she is doing better um, it also helps to illustrate the point um, that you make a little bit later in the book between the difference between somebody who is a, a worrier, somebody who just struggles with anxiety, and somebody who actually has OCD. Um, because there's a, a big difference between someone who's just a worrier who worries about, for example, an exam or paying the bills, uh, than somebody who worries about these bizarre uh intrusive thoughts that that kind of characterize ocd right yeah there is i mean so anxiety you know it is a is a it's a serious problem for a lot of people mm. and in no way would i play it down mm. but it's different so ocd one of the symptoms is anxiety you become anxious but you become anxious about things that are very often completely irrational mm. um, so, so i think that's the difference you know if you say to someone I'm really anxious because I have a maths exam on my driving test tomorrow. I think most people sort of empathise with that and go, oh, yes, you know, I remember that. But if you say to people, you know, and these are real cases of OCD, I'm anxious because I fear that when I close my eyes, the whole world will change around me. Mm. Or I'm anxious because I think I might have, um, uh, by, by writing a number that has a loop in it, I get visions of my family dying in a house fire. You know, that's much, much harder for people to connect mm, to. Yeah. Yeah. I quite like to use uh, the kind of spotlight analogy uh, with, with this, where for most people, the, the spotlight is, you know, directly in front of them. They're paying attention to kind of normal things and the worries are kind of more or less within the realms of normality. However, if you have OCD, the spotlight tends to go all the way off to the right or all the way off to the, to the left, to places where people uh, normally just don't pay attention to at all. Yeah, I mean, it's exactly right. This sort of, people can't see you because it's a, a podcast, but you're, you're moving your arms in 180 degrees. And that's exactly <laughs> right. It's that the, um, the, the content of the thoughts of OCD are limited only by the human imagination. I mean, honestly, mm. I have met people who just the most extraordinary and I read you know read stories for example there was a guy who could only park his car next to a a green Ford Anglia and then in in the 70s Ford stopped making that model so there just weren't any for him to park next to it. so he would just drive round and round and round yeah um you know and he would miss appointments he would you can imagine can't you just yeah. that disruption to your life mm. i think what's what's important to say is that these thoughts they're not unique to people with ocd 
almost everybody has what we call intrusive thoughts, just really yeah. thoughts. So people listening to this now probably have had thoughts like when they're waiting for the tube train, the subway train, and they hear that rumble on the tracks and they get that weird urge to jump in front of the train. You know, they're not suicidal. They, they, they reject that urge. They don't want it. They, that's why they find it disturbing. Mm. But they don't, they don't take it seriously. They just go, oh, that was weird, wasn't it? And then the train comes, they get on the train and they go about their life. But someone with OCD, that thought, I describe them in the book, I think, as seeds sort of scattered across the population. And in, in most minds, they just don't take root. But in some, they do. And when they do, they really dig in deep and they grow into these horrible, ugly, sort of dangerous flowers almost in, in people's heads. And a big question for psychiatrists, psychiatrists and psychologists is, what is it about certain minds that allow these these thought seeds to to sprout and to take root because we know that like you know i have ocd my thoughts my intrusive thoughts the ones that i respond to are around hiv and aids because i grew up in the, the 80s that was a big cultural fear but i also have intrusive thoughts about other things I, you know i get the one about jumping in front of a train but mm. i brush that away i brush that off so it's not that Intrusive thoughts equal OCD. It's like there's something in the middle which we don't quite understand, which which, which takes these thoughts that everybody has and reacts to them, reacts to them in a way that essentially make them come back, and you have to respond to them then with a with a compulsive behaviour to try and make yourself feel better. Mm. Yeah, it's almost as if the 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 feeling that these um, thoughts produce or generate is is so uncomfortable so difficult to deal with that that people feel that they have to perform some kind of compulsion in order to to deal with that that feeling um unfortunately we know that you know that just makes it a whole lot worse and i mean often it tends to be rumination um you know a certain thought pops up that we we don't like uh, a seed if you like and and then we start to kind of ruminate on it and that's almost like the the kind of germination process um, and before we know what's going on, it's sprouting and it's spreading and it's getting out of control. So, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Um, okay. And um, so you just mentioned there that, you know, one of your major themes was, was HIV, um, contracting HIV potentially, obviously in the 80s, uh, even early 90s. Uh, I, you know, I remember myself, there was a lot of... Um, adverts on the television warning people about HIV it was such a you know it was such a, a thing that people were preoccupied with at that time um, so it doesn't surprise me that that became an obsession for you um, could you tell us a little bit more about about your struggles with with that please yeah so I I mean this is the only form of OCD I've ever had um, uh, it was a it was a, basically an irrational fear of, of contracting HIV, which when I started my OCD was, you know, effectively a terminal illness. It's not anymore. You know, I mean, as long as you can get hold of the, the various drugs and the treatments, it's essentially a manageable illness. So, but the the HIV that I'm obsessed with is still the HIV of the late eighties, mm. and. Um, in no way, I've met people who are HIV positive, you know, some of whom are a little offended, I suppose, that, you know, you're saying that my life is so bad that you're so worried about it, that you would do all these crazy things. And I'm, I'm, I'm not, no, I'm not. Mm. It's, 
number one, it's irrational. Yeah. You can't, you can't follow a logical progression in that. I'm not doing it because of this or because of that. It's just an irrational mm. fear. Yeah. And the second thing is that it's, it's historic now. It's, it's, it's out of date, my, my um, obsession, my fear. You know, people would say to me when I, I would do talks and people would say, you know, what would happen if, if there was no HIV? You know, or it was there was a cure that you know someone invented a pill that you could just take that would remove it, and I I genuinely don't know if that would remove my fear of it because it is so because it is so deep and because it is so irrational. Mm. Um, you know, I'm now I'm now fifty, and that's when I started worrying about this stuff. I was sort of nineteen. Um, even if I did contract HIV and I was left untreated, it probably wouldn't kill me now. You know, because you get 20 30 years so 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 it's completely irrational it's important to say that it's not a judgment or a or me trying to avoid anything um but yeah it's just that i would for, for years and years and years all of the stuff that they told you in these public information campaigns that you know you can't catch hiv by hiv by hiv by doing this by doing that i would just focus on the tiny tiny risk that mm. most people dismiss yeah. For example, I would, uh, when I was a student, I would play football. I would play an astroturf, which back in the day was like sandpaper. You would, you know, you you'd fall over and you'd scrape your knee. Yeah, yeah. I remember like, those days. Gash. So part of me would think, so this is afterwards. I would play football. I'd make the tackle. I'd hurt my knee. Afterwards, I start thinking, someone else could have done that at that exact same spot. Someone else could have left blood from their knee, they could be HIV positive, that blood could have got into your system, which, you know, you can make a case for that. It's very, 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 very unlikely, so unlikely that most people would never consider it. But you can't say there's a zero risk of it happening. Mm. That gap between zero and very, 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 very unlikely which is where OCD flourishes. Mm. You know, I remember someone once told me that, oh, you know, the chance of catching HIV from kissing someone is like a million to one, which they meant as a reassurance. But to me, that was a mathematical sort of probability now that I could work out. And I did the math, <laughs> worked out how many people lived in the world, how many people were kissing each other at any one time. And I worked out that, you know, one or two people in the world would catch HIV from kissing somebody. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, and that was what I focused on. And, and, but again, not, this wasn't a general problem that I had with managing risk. You know, I was happily, I'd have to get on an aeroplane. I'd fly, mm. I, you know, I went skiing. I'd do things that were notionally much more dangerous, much riskier to my health, um, than kissing someone. Um, but it was that, it was that I had a blind spot for very, very, very small risk when it applied to HIV. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that characterizes again, you know, so many people's uh, struggles with with OCD. It's about that, that tiny uncertainty that for whatever reason, people with OCD find incredibly hard to just let go of. Um, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Okay. Um, you, uh, you kind of mentioned there that, you know, part of this process of of kind of um being able to 
walk away from the uncertainty, if you like, to, to be able to, to deal with the uncertainty is to, to, well, we know it's about acceptance ultimately, you know, it's about accepting that, that very small uncertainty and that's how we can learn to, to overcome it and deal with it. Um, one of the ways though, that most of us try to deal with this, uh, particularly initially, if we haven't kind of worked on the OCD or haven't got much help with a therapist or somebody to, to kind of help us, uh, is that we tend to try to just not think about the problem. We, <laughs> we try to do just about anything in our, you know, in our, in our, um, I don't know, whatever, we, we try to find a way to not think about it. And unfortunately, this just doesn't work. And actually, this, this has, uh, this is called the kind of white bear effect, uh, where we really try not to think about something so much that we end up just thinking about it constantly. Uh, and you mentioned this in your in your book. Um, actually, you said something I didn't know that uh, Tolstoy was actually one of the first people, one of the first writers who was talking about this. Um, can you tell us a little bit about about the the white bear effect, please? Yeah. So, so this is I think that the technical term is thought suppression. So if you have a um, if you have a an intrusive thought, a really distressing. Um, disturbing thought which which won't go away that's pretty unusual because we're so used to our thoughts being ephemeral you know half the time you can't remember things that you're trying to think about so so having things that you don't want to think about stuck in your head is 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 pretty pretty odd and um and a natural response to that is to think well just don't think about it to try hard not to think about it but you know White bear was is the Tolstoy example, but you know, if I say to people now listening, try not to think of a giraffe, you know, what do you think of it? It's, yeah, and, it, and it's because because to, to not think of something, you have to monitor what you're thinking about and check that you're not thinking about it. So it's it's impossible. I mean, it's been shown to be impossible, and and cruelly, the 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 more you try not to think about something, the more you will think about it. So it will that the occasions of it popping up in your head will increase. So you cannot, um, you cannot outthink a thought, I suppose is the way I described it in the book. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can be distracted. Um, so that's one of the reasons I loved skiing was that, you know, I took all my focus and attention just to stay upright and to not crash. And so, you know, you're kind of in the zone that what, what, what the sports people call flow, you know, that is what you're, the only thing that you're thinking about but you it's not a realistic long-term strategy you know you can't spend your life skiing and probably i know and i know there's very very good skiers actually find that their minds wander and they start thinking about other things um so 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 so, so yeah so which is where the compulsions come in because if you have a if you have a weird thought and you can't not think about it and you can't distract yourself from it all the time you, you don't have any mental options to deal with it. So, so the only thing you have, the only thing you have control over to try and make yourself feel better is your behavior. And in some cases, the link, and that, which is where the compulsion comes from, usually, usually the compulsion is a behavior. There is there's what people call puro, which is they sort of think a compulsion, but it's still a compulsion and it's still kind of a behavior because it's a, they're doing it, you know, they're, mm. they're choosing to do it. Um, 
and and this is um yeah so sometimes the the link between the obsession and the compulsion can appear entirely rational so with my ocd for example with hiv if i worried about scratching myself on a barbed wire fence my thoughts that there could be blood there i could go back and i could check it with the tissue to check there was no blood on my barbed wire fence okay i mean nuts but you can see there's a logical you know cause and effect but a lot of people develop compulsions that make no uh, logical sense at all to what they're worried about they just find a behavior which makes them feel better so for example if you are feeling anxious about i don't know your parents dying or your children dying or something like that you might just form perform a repetitive action you know you might just knock and it it makes you feel better you can't you can't explain why but it but it does and, and more importantly for ocd by doing that when you do that your parents don't die so you start to connect the two. You think, oh, the reason they didn't die is because I did that. So I better do that every time I think about it. And that's the compulsion that then feeds the obsessive thought. And, and you get locked into this cycle very, very quickly. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Spot on. Um, so I wanted to, to kind of ask you as well about willpower and OCD, because you're, you're quoted as saying to resist a compulsion with willpower alone is to hold back an avalanche of melting uh, melting the snow with a candle. It, ju it just keeps coming and coming and coming. Um, so what can we do? Because obviously, you know, you've just mentioned there that if we try to just not think about something, um, unfortunately, we're going to think about it more. <laughs> and you know this is this is part of the reason why the ocd cycle keeps keeps going um, apart from the fact that you know when you actually perform the compulsion you reinforce it you know to your subconscious mind that it's dangerous and you know and so what can we do instead if we're if willpower doesn't really work you know just i'm just not going to think about it if that if that um if that doesn't work because it does work in other areas of life you know, in, in many areas of life, that kind of approach works, but it does not work here. What can we do instead? So I think you have to understand a little bit of the theory, the psychological theory. And um, if we say that the thoughts cause anxiety and it's the anxiety which we are responding to with our compulsions, mm. because however, um, however temporarily those compulsions reduce our anxiety we, they make us feel better which is why we do them mm. but in performing the compulsion you have the same um, side effects as trying not to think about something you make the thoughts come back mm. so this is where you get locked into the cycle mm. so so I'm, i mean i know this because i've had therapy and i would urge anyone who can access it to do uh, to do so i know it's not easy and it's difficult in some parts of the country so i'm not I'm not minimizing that at all, but what mm. I'm described to you now is what I experienced in therapy. Yeah. Um, and, and so once you uh, recognize, and this is really difficult, the thoughts aren't the problem. The thoughts are there and you can't stop them. They're just, you know, and, and that's so difficult because I went into OCD treatment expecting someone to take away the thoughts. It doesn't happen. The only thing you have control over which you can change is your behavior, which is the compulsions. So the short answer, and I appreciate this is extremely, you know, trivializing it is, is you don't perform the compulsions. Because <laughs> then what happens is the anxiety that you have from your thought stays. 
right? Mm. And you're not performing the compulsion, so you're not taking a shortcut to reduce it. So it stays high. It yeah. Stays high. It stays high and it's horrible because you're experiencing this anxiety. But this is the theory. You cannot stay at that level of anxiety indefinitely. Mm. There will come a point where it comes down by itself. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And it can take a long time. First time I did this, it took a couple of days. Yeah, and that's awful to experience that anxiety and knowing that, like, for example, I was anxious that I had blood on my hands and I might have rubbed mm. it in my eyes. Mm. The compulsion was to look at my heart, look at my hands to reassure myself, but I, mm. but I didn't, again, through therapy. Mm. And after a couple of days, it did, the anxiety about that did start to go down. Now, it may have gone down because it was replaced by anxiety about something else. I, I can't really remember, but it definitely started to go down. And that's the key to, if you want to use the word beating OCD, because that is the only way you break the link between the compulsions then fueling the anxiety. Now, you'll still have thoughts that cause you anxiety. But the theory is that once you know, once you've experienced that thought going away, sorry, that anxiety going away by itself, you're more confident the next time that it will do that. And so you feel less need to perform the compulsions. Yeah, so, you, sorry, go on. Oh yeah, so so, so the, the theory is that then you will still have the thoughts, you'll still experience the anxiety, but it will go away. Which yeah. is how people live their lives. Yeah. You can't, you can't avoid the triggers, you can't avoid the stimuli that are gonna trigger your anxiety, but you can, not respond to it with an irrational reaction, which then makes the thoughts more likely to come back. So, so, so that, but, but this is where the willpower comes into it. So back in the day, they would be, able, they could physically restrain people. You know, if you had an urge to wash your hands, if you were in treatment, they could, they could lock you in a cupboard until the anxiety went away. You know, you're not allowed to do that anymore. So, so all you can do is tell people, well, don't do it. <laughs> and, and that is the, that's the hardest thing. Because yeah, every, there's every big element of choice. Brain is screaming at you to take the easy way out and to, mm. check, to check, to get that reassurance. Because we all believe, I think, I believe anyway, oh this will be the last time i'll just check this one last time and then everything will be fine but it never is mm. it never is yeah yeah so, i mean it is choices is a a dangerous word in a way it's a bit like you know you choose not to be addicted to heroin by just not taking heroin i mean it is it does feel like a physical addiction or a mental addiction but this is where willpower comes into it some people have more willpower than others that's why some people find it easier or harder than others i think to to resist these compulsions, but resist is a good word. Mm. You, have, you have to resist. And there are ways you can be helped to resist. You know, yeah. you can have support from therapy, you can have support from family, you can mm. read books, you can experience other people doing it and other people telling you, I swear it gets better. But when yeah. you're trying to resist that horrible anxiety, mm. it is so difficult. Yeah, it's so counterintuitive. I think that's because what effectively by performing the compulsion, though, you you get a sense of control 
over yeah. your scenario, over your situation. And it feels like you're doing something. You feel like you're taking action. Um, because in other areas of life, you would you would problem solve and you would find a solution to your problem, like in your work, for example. And, you know, and that would help you. And so, of course, we want to do the same thing when it comes to OCD, but it it doesn't work. And so to let go of that, I think is really is quite terrifying because you're letting go of that that problem solving that you use in so many areas of your life. And you're saying, actually, what I have to do is just do nothing. I actually have to just feel this emotion. Um, and I think that is the hardest thing of all, because perhaps for for whatever reason, you know, for a long time, we've not been allowing ourselves to feel the full range of our emotions and and that's actually the thing that's that's keeping us stuck yeah i think so i think so i mean emotions again is is slightly sugarcoating it because for most people that emotion is terror and anxiety mm. there's very little positive emotion that comes out of it it's it's about living with that just that um horror you know, and, and not not turning it off temporarily. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's that clockwork orange. You have to pin your eyes open and watch the horror experience. Mm. I I think um I think you know a really important part of this then is is really trusting um and having some some hope, you know, that it really is going to come down that anxiety. <laughs> you know because it's like you say i mean it's a horror it's the 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 feeling is so uh so hard to deal with if you don't believe that it's actually going to work that it is actually going to come down then i think it's very hard for people to commit to it um I, yeah yeah I, I think it is i think it is uh, i completely agree with you and um you need to have a motivation, a very strong motivation, I think. Mm. You know, like, like, like anything that requires willpower, you know, there are people who try and go on diets and just can't stop eating donuts. There are people who can't stop smoking. There are people who can't stop taking heroin. And there are other people who can do those things. Yeah. And, and, and um, but but it, but but you don't know which which one of those you are until you try, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think it's why I think understanding a the theory helps a little bit because one of the reasons that I didn't seek help for so long was I just I just thought it would go away. You know, this is nuts. It's going to go away. One one day I'm going to wake up, and it's going to go away. And day after day, week after week, month after month year after year it just it doesn't it, it just won't and you know there are ways of minimizing the impact it can have on your life and you can almost get almost tolerate it get used to it it's just you know there was a stage where i thought this is just my thing you know i knew some people had cancer some people had killed themselves because of depression ocd was my thing that was my thing i had to just endure I suppose but what changed was then I had my motivation was when I had children and I just there was 
I didn't want them to copy me, I suppose, or to, to do anything. I didn't want to do anything that would be, make them more likely to go through what I'd gone through. So that was my point. That was my low point. Mm. I was committed. Yeah. Committed to, um, to doing whatever it took, really. Yeah. I think that's an important point, actually. So I think something that really helped me uh, was um, acceptance commitment therapy with its focus on on values um you know kind of spending a bit of time on that and really working out you know my why why am I doing this why am I going to put myself through the fire um you know in order to hopefully get better um and and that gave me a bit of uh, impetus to to change I think um be it still it was still very tough um yeah. and there's still challenging days even today <laughs> I mean, it's, it's tragic i'm you know people get in touch with me who are in their 70s and they've had this since they were a teenager you know it, their entire lives mm. but there was when i was having therapy there was a woman um, who was in her 70s and, and she was basically i hesitate to use the word cure but she was made to feel better after six sessions of, of therapy, you know, her 70 years of her life had been yeah. essentially, you know, hijacked by this. Mm. So, um, yeah, anyone listening who's not yet convinced, I mean, you can get to feel better. Yeah. What do you think is the, the most important thing that you've learned from your experience of, of dealing with OCD? The, the absolute most important thing is that everybody has these thoughts. Mm. Everybody. Um, and if they don't, they're either lying or a psychopath. And I'm not using that word, you know, uh, flippantly. That, that, that's the psychological definition almost of someone who doesn't experience these intrusive thoughts. Mm. Uh, because they're thoughts which cause us to you know, question who we are and introduce guilt and shame and things which psychopathy prevents. Mm. Um, so, and, and that was the thing that helped me the most in therapy was they distributed a list, just a, a photocopied list of all these weird thoughts. Like I'm gonna have, I wanna have sex with my neighbor's rabbit or I want to go up and just punch my teacher in the face or, and then the sort of the punchline is these are all from quote, normal people, people mm. without OCD yeah and and that helps in helped me in two ways one it, it it restored the connection that i thought i'd lost to the broader sort of population made me feel less as a less of a weirdo because actually what was causing this was was almost universal um and secondly it just it it, it made me realize that it wasn't the thoughts that I could act against because they were always going to be there. It was my be my reaction to those thoughts, which is where the key, the key lay, mm. which brings us back to what we've been talking about about the compulsions. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, and if you only had uh, one piece of um, advice for people who are struggling with OCD, uh, what would it be? Uh, it would be tell someone because mm. I for such a long time and it compounded all of the problems yeah yeah so important you know there's help out there um it's just speak to people and 
you know hopefully don't don't become that 70 year old who spends their whole life you know struggling when they could have had the help well yeah exactly yeah. So with, again with the proviso that i know it's not easy to get help mm. uh, you know the, 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 i don't know what it's like where you are in, in spain but you know over here in the uk it's it's very patchy and and one of the biggest complaints that i hear is people just the just the wait the time it takes to get to see somebody on the nhs yeah 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 fantastic davis uh, thank you so much for your time it's been uh, wonderful talking to you if people have any questions or if they want to get in touch with you at all what can they do uh yeah i mean so the book is out there the book's called the man who couldn't stop which is a lot more about what i've been talking about both my own experiences and, and the theory of ocd um, I, have, I have a website davidneiladam.com people can contact me through that um very i always try and get back to people who contact me about ocd so um yeah very happy to very happy to hear from people that's great thank you so much for your time it's been great talking to you oh you're welcome thank you just a quick reminder that if you want to get a free session, all you need to do to get that is to head over to my website, www.robertjamescoaching.com. And there you can leave me a message and we can arrange the uh, free session. And now just a quick reminder of my disclaimer. Any information that you view on my website, Instagram page, Facebook group, or anywhere else online, or any information that you listen to on the podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for actual medical or mental health advice from a doctor, psychologist or any other medical or mental health professional.